It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Tuesday, September 29, 2020. On today's special live episode, we have Hershey Dwoskin with In the Headlines. Here's Hershey. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our weekly current events um, discussion. Um, you know, I was trying to decide on subjects to speak about today, and so many things all jumped at the last minute that um, I uh, could not manage to even think of how to handle all of them. But I, I have to, of course, mention some of them just so that we're touching the same base. First of all, I want to uh, hope that everyone had a, uh, a um, meaningful holiday uh, yesterday, if you followed it. Uh, it's been the first time that um, you know, the holy day of the Jewish New Year uh, occurred during COVID and people couldn't go to the synagogue. And as a result, for me, there were no cars parked in front of my house, which normally there's a traffic jam because I live close to one of the large synagogues in, uh, in, uh, in Montreal. Um, <clears throat> so many things have happened in the last week. Uh, like uh, President Trump choosing a new uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, the revelations of his uh, non-payment of taxes for 15 years, um, the debate in the United States, which will take place tonight, which I think should be um, fun to watch. Um, but none of these things, of course, have any kind of huge difference in changing people's minds because well, the statistic I, wrote, I read was that only 3% of Americans were undecided. So um, pretty well everything is now set. And uh, the rest is kind of just showbiz. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Premier put Montreal in a red zone for COVID. Another uh, kind of uh, landmark, you could say. And uh, it means that the rise in cases is persistent and he wanted to cut it off before it gets any worse. So that's certainly newsworthy. And uh, for people who thought that the fight against COVID was a sort of a straight line, um, we see that it does have its ups and downs and uh, perhaps only the arrival of a vaccine will change things. Uh, today or yesterday, I should say, uh, the world passed 1 million people which have died of COVID. So. Uh, it's not, uh, as Trump said, something that will be gone when it got warm or something that would be gone by April, but uh, it has uh, killed at least a million people. Um, uh, the, um, uh, you know, of course, the reason I think that the, um, the restrictions were put on were to stop uh, parties and uh, bars uh, where, you know, there's the most kind of transmission. Um, uh, the um, biggest news, although these are all big news items, and if you follow the kind of uh, US news cycle, this is what you read about. But actually, to my way of thinking, the biggest news item of the week was something that was almost unnoticed, which was that China said that it would uh, uh, adopt a carbon neutral status by 2050. And I think uh, that is such a huge undertaking 
that I thought it would be a good introduction to talk about the subject of climate change in more detail, especially because over the last week or a couple of weeks, there have been um, so many interesting new um, developments in that area. So let's have a look at some of them. Um, we had last couple of weeks, the highest temperature ever recorded on the earth by official weather or measurements systems, which was a temperature in the Death Valley of California, which was somewhere close to 54 degrees. Um, you know, there have been reports of higher temperatures, but never reports that have been so solidly substantiated. Um, the uh, fires in the US are unprecedented on the West Coast. Uh, they've had uh, the biggest fires covering the most area since they started record keeping. There were five hurricanes in the Atlantic at the same time, which is another uh, unprecedented event. Uh, one of them hit Nova Scotia. There's another hurricane which is about to hit Alaska, which is something that's pretty well unheard of. Um, there are uh, forest fires in the Siberia, in the uh, far north of Russia. Um, we've had uh, the hottest summer ever recorded in many different places. Um, there was a report this past week that more Greenland ice has been melting than was ever measured before. So this is ice that's melting on the mainland and washing into the uh, Atlantic Ocean, uh, um, you know, in, in form of water. Um, there were two large uh, glaciers in Antarctica which broke away and which are starting to make their way into the southern uh, uh, Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. These are enormous glaciers so they don't move, move very quick. Uh, you know they're the size of whole cities in some cases um, but the fact is that once they break away from the uh, continent then uh, by currents, uh, they are going to end up into the, into the oceans and then they'll subsequently melt. And all of these things have happened all within the last month. All the things that I mentioned have all happened within the last month. Uh, there was another measurement taken September 20th of the extent of ice covering the Arctic uh, uh, Circle, uh, which means, of course, northern Canada. And it's the second lowest, I think, that was ever me measured. So in other words, you have the most ocean, uh, ice-free ocean around the Arctic Circle than, and than ever at the warmest point in the uh, season, which is now. Um, uh, uh, let's see, what other things could have happened these days? Pretty well, that's uh, pretty well. And of course, this summer, there was some huge flooding in uh, huge rainfalls in, in Korea, in Japan, uh, major flooding, uh, major typhoons in the Philippines. Uh, the city of Venice flooded over in the uh, early springtime when pictures of St. Mark's Square were, you know, completely covered in water. And so, you know, from these very objective um, uh, events which are taking place all around the world and all at one time, 
we have to draw some conclusions about the fact that um, the climate is changing. So let's just speak a little bit about that. So first of all, there's, there's some people who, who, who somehow think that um, the earth is a very static place and that only now because of human intervention is the climate changing. But of course, we all know that the climate has been changing since the earth has been created. The only thing is that the ha changes happen over time. So in the last 650,000 years, you know, going back before our time, there have been uh, seven um, glacial uh, uh, ice ages and melting of ice ages. And so if you have melting of ice ages before human beings had any kind of effect on the world, well, what caused those and who's to say that we're not going through a, a similar process right now? Um, those ice ages and the melting of ice ages were caused by minute um, changes in the Earth's orbit around the sun. So that a slight difference in the angle of the Earth toward the sun means that you get either more or less sunshine going on the Earth. And that would in part explain the um, icing up or the melting of the ice ages. But these are processes that happened over thousands of years. We can measure the changes in the atmosphere just in the last 200 years and see what a huge change there's been. And especially in the last 30 or 40 years to see what change there has been. Um, um, so the changes over the last 20 years cannot be explained by some kind of natural phenomenon going on in the Earth's rotation, but by human activity. The, um, the uh, main uh, evidence of, of climate change is the warming of the atmosphere around the Earth. And uh, this warming has been measured to be somewhere around one degree, an average, an average of one degree Celsius uh, over the last um, hundred years. Now, you might think, well, what's one degree Celsius? Well, when you multiply that one degree by the surface area of the earth, it really comes out to be a lot of extra heat. Um, the thinking is that this, the main and, and the degree of warming is, is accelerating so that uh, it's forecast that this will end up to be one and a half degrees by 2050 and even two degrees uh, 50 years after that. So in other words, this warming which took a hundred years to go up one degree is only taking, let's say 20 years to go up another half a degree and etc. So the rate of, of, of warming is accelerating. Uh, <clears throat> the main reason for this warming, uh, it, it's, it's kind of um, uh, agreed upon that is the presence of what's called greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Um, and greenhouse gases are a kind of a layer of gas in the lower atmosphere, which trap the Earth's heat from escaping into outer space. Now, if we, if we thought that the warming is coming from an increased activity of the sun, in other words, the sun is just getting hotter, 
then the upper atmosphere would be getting warmer first and then spreading down to the lower atmosphere and then spreading down to us. In fact, it's the, the, uh, the opposite. The lower atmosphere is the area which is much warmer, but once you get into the upper atmosphere, it's actually colder than normal. And that's because the um, earth is insulating the lower atmosphere from spreading in the, the um, greenhouse gases are insulating the lower atmosphere from spreading into the upper atmosphere. And so uh, that's, that's kind of a good proof that it's not the sun that's warming up the earth more than usual, but it's that the heat that's generated in the earth is getting trapped by this layer of um, greenhouse gases. And then this trapping, this trap is, is kind of reflecting back on the earth to make the earth even more warm. Uh, in numbers, we have good measurements to say that in turn, there are several greenhouse gases that are causing this. But carbon dioxide is the one which has the most, uh, let's call it, to play. And the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has gone from 250 parts per million to 420 parts per million uh, within the last one or 200 years. So even though this seems like a very small change, it's, it is a large change in percentage terms, but in terms of part per million, it's still very small. But um, this is making a huge difference in the way that the Earth is retaining its warmth. Um, the um, uh, sixth warmest years, since the sixth warmest year since records have been kept, have all happened since 2014. So imagine what that actually means. If we have half decent records going back to 1800, you know, so you've got 200 years of records and the six warmest years were in the last six or seven years, that does tell you something. 2016 was the hottest of, of all the years and eight months during 2016 were the hottest months ever recorded um, uh, you know, on earth. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, you know, just a kind of a, um, a status report in a way on the, uh, er, er, the warming of the earth. So let's look now at some of the effects of this warming. Uh, let's start with the oceans because the oceans are, uh, two thirds of our surface and believe it or not, the oceans actually absorb 93% of the total amount of warming, um, uh, the extra warming of the earth. In other words, because uh, the water um, can absorb heat and because it absorbs it so slowly and gives it off so slowly, it's a kind of a sink of heat, um, which is the excess heat produced by the earth. And of course, it makes the oceans warmer. Once the oceans get warmer, many things happen. The first thing is, is that warm water is, has more volume than cold water. So, um, you know, if you, if you did an experiment and filled a big, big container up to the very, very, very top of freezing cold water, and then you heated up that water to, uh, you know, below boiling, that water would spill over the top of the container simply because warm water takes up more space than cold water. 
So if you multiply that out over the whole surfaces of the oceans, without even adding any of the meltwater from the icebergs and from the uh, glaciers, the, uh, the, the uh, volume of the ocean uh, would be going up anyway. When you add to that, that extra warm water, which is now melting glaciers in Antarctica, melting the ice sheets in the Arctic, melting the Greenland gl glaciers, all this extra water, which was bound up in the solid, uh, pours into the ocean and acts to raise the, uh, oh, the sea level at the same time. And we have good measures of sea level rise. Uh, it's actually risen quite a lot, which is about 20 centimeters in the last hundred years, which is really a very large amount. And, uh, you know, the rising sea levels lead to all kinds of problems from flooding in Venice to flooding in, um, you know, low-lying uh, areas of the world, um, you know, uh, in Asia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, uh, lots of places like that uh, have been flooded over. Some islands in the Pacific are at risk of being completely submerged. Um, the uh, rise in the ocean temperatures also has another effect, which is to give fuel to hurricanes because hurricanes live off of the warmth of the water. And uh, it doesn't lead to more hurricanes, but it leads to the hurricanes being stronger. And we've seen that over the past several years where uh, hurricanes have become more and more destructive. And not only the ones which we focus on in, in North America, but the ones in the Pacific um, as well. So hurricanes are getting stronger. Um, also, as the air warms, it's able, the air, now, so we spoke about the oceans now, the air warming up leads to a greater ability to absorb water or moisture from in the atmosphere. So you all know that, that cold air cannot hold moisture. And that's why when the air gets cold, the snow falls uh, out of it. But uh, if uh, the warm air gets um, uh, moist, it can hold a lot of water. And that's why we've had so many record rainfalls over the past few years that we have you know, heard about. And to me, the amazing one was a couple of years back in Houston, where um, in the hurricane uh, Harvey, they got 50 inches of rain, 50 inches of rain in a day and a half, or two days. I think of what 50 inches of rain would do, you know, anywhere. Uh, it's an unbelievable number and it broke records by, by huge amounts. Um, and uh, these uh, high rain, uh, sort of flooding type rains are th things that are now occurring regularly in different parts of the world. At the same time, of course, there's only a fixed amount of uh, moisture around. So that if it rains too much in one place, it's only going to be drier someplace else. And uh, other places in the world have been uh, subject to droughts, uh, especially in the middle, uh, middle Asia, in the Middle East, uh, in uh, Africa, um, and even in the Western United States. Uh, there have been uh, long periods without rain and we saw what happens when you have high temperatures and long periods without rain. 
in, in California and Oregon, Washington, you get forest fires which are so destructive. Um, and so you could see how one thing, when we talk about climate change and the effects of climate change, really one thing leads to another and leads to another. Um, one of the other effects of um, the oceans absorbing carbon dioxide is that this carbon dioxide, uh, some of it turns into something called carbolic acid, which is uh, uh, a weak acid uh, formed using the carbon in, uh, that, 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 that's, that dissolves in the ocean. And this weak acid leads to the destruction of um, uh, coral reefs, uh, to the inability of shelled uh, animals to uh, build strong shells, like mussels and oysters and things like that. And the destruction of the reefs in Australia, which is one of the greatest uh, kind of natural resources they have, is something that's quite extensive. And um, it's, uh, uh, you know, as the oceans have warmed up, they, they see that it's, um, you know, uh, the more warmer the water is, um, the more destruction there is on the reefs. And the cooler, the further south you go in Australia, there's less damage because it's a bit cooler. So there is a, definitely a correlation there between the warm water and destruction of reefs. Um, um, the, um, the warm weather has also led to, of course, melting of glaciers uh, on land. And, uh, you know, we all have to be aware that the glaciers that are, uh, that are formed in Asia and Himalayas and the uh, other mountain ranges close by are what feeds the major rivers of Southeast Asia. And those major rivers are what brings water to billion, more than a billion people in India, Pakistan, Myanmar, uh, China, of course. Uh, the Yangtze and the uh, Yellow Rivers all rise, and Brahmaputra all rise, and the Ganges, they all rise in the Himalayas. And if the, the uh, snow there melts down and melts quickly, then um, there will be, of course, less water to provide for all those people. And uh, the earlier it melts, of course, it can lead to floods. And then once it's all melted, then people have no water. And this is uh, kind of a uh, steady ongoing occurrence. And you could see the marching up of the glaciers um, all around the world. In South America, the same thing. In Europe, the same thing. There's a glacier in Iceland that melted so completely that the people there put a kind of a marker uh, uh, saying here was once a glacier and this is the last little bit of it that's left, you know, a kind of a table-sized piece of ice. And uh, they just put a marker there to show that there was once a glacier there because people who visit in the future will not know that. Um, uh, <clears throat> and um, yeah, that's, uh, that's that. Um, so let's just look a little bit now. So, you know, we, we can understand that it's happened. Um, let's uh, look a little bit in more detail about where these greenhouse gases come from. 
So we mentioned carbon dioxide as the, the biggest one, and that comes from a lot of different sources. It comes from fossil fuel burning, so in other words, burning of coal, burning of oil, burning of natural gas, uh, burning of wood, burning of garbage. Um, all of these things of burning something that has carbon in it uh, normally has two byproducts, which is water and carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide just goes up into the atmosphere. Um, breathing. Uh, the more people there are and the more animals there are to feed these people, the more carbon dioxide is breathed out by, by us. Um, deforestation, carbon, di carbon dioxide is held in the bodies of plants and trees. And as these things are cut down and as they sort of rot and deteriorate, uh, all that stored up carbon dioxide is released. So um, uh, these are some of the prime sources of it. Um, another large source is in cement making. Um, and, uh, you know, the more people there are, and the more transportation there is, and the more heating there is, uh, the more carbon dioxide will go out into the atmosphere. Another one of the um, greenhouse gases is methane. So methane is what we would call natural gas. And uh, methane is a far more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, uh, meaning it, 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 the same amount of it will warm up the earth and act as a bigger blanket than carbon dioxide. And methane comes mostly from uh, re being released from gas wells and oil wells. So methane is a gas which is underground, natural gas. And when you drill for oil, the gas escapes. And when you have gas pipelines all over the world, some of the gas escapes. Um, uh, uh, it also comes from landfills. You know, uh, if you pile up garbage and you cover it over, all the gas, all the, um, the, uh, the carbon uh, slowly transforms itself into natural gas and then can escape um, into the atmosphere. Uh, for those of you who've ever been around Florida, we've seen these things called Mount Trashmores, which is a, a mountain of garbage that's covered over by earth. And you'll see that many of these places have natural gas facilities right in them because these facilities just capture the gas and then of course it can be used to generate power. So uh, that's another source. Rice cultivation is another source where the rice is grown in boggy, um, boggy areas, and when it all rots down, the methane is released. Methane is also present naturally in the upper soils of the earth. So uh, like in Canada, in the permafrost area, uh, it's trapped underneath uh, solid ice. And if that ice melts on the surface of the earth, then the methane can just escape naturally into the atmosphere. So these are the sources of methane. Uh, and um, that's how it ends up into the atmosphere. Another one of the greenhouse gases is nitrous oxide, and that uh, it comes from fertilizers being used uh, from um, burning fossil fuels and burning garbage. So, um, uh, you know, and also from, uh, yeah, you know, from tailpipes of cars and things like that. So this is another very potent uh, greenhouse gas. 
By the way, water vapor is also a greenhouse gas. So, you know, any water that evaporates is also a greenhouse gas. Um, and the more evaporation there is, then the more blanketing there is of the earth. Of course, that water does fall down as rain. So uh, there's always an interchange over there. But there, you know, the measurable amount of greenhouse gases has just increased since the Industrial Revolution. And especially, um, you know, in the last 30 or 40 years. And as the world's population increases, the amount of greenhouse gases is going to increase also. Um, uh, now, the, um, the Earth's warming has lots of other effects. Some, sometimes you wouldn't even think about them. Some are, are, some are sort of, we'll call it advantageous, and some are disadvantageous. So if the world is warming up, for example, for Canada, our Northwest Passage, the, the, the uh, travel between the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean over the top of Canada, which has always been icebound all year long, uh, now for several months of the year, maybe August and September, can be completely clear. And so ships can pass, say going from Japan to Europe, instead of going through the Panama Canal through the long way, they could just go up through Alaska, Bering Strait, uh, over the top of Canada and back down past Greenland and into Europe. And some ships have already done this and they've even had a cruise ship that's done this. Uh, even more uh, likely is a passage uh, from Europe to Japan over the top of Russia, which doesn't have as many islands in there in the way, and which has been clear now every summer for a long time. So, uh, you know, in a certain sense, you could say this is an advantage, this global warming. Also, it, it increases the growing season in areas like Russia or like Canada, where, where the growing season is short. But it also can bring things that we uh, don't really want, like, uh, you know, insects and pests, like the Lyme disease and, and other things, which were once found only in the south, which have been moving up north. And as far as the U.S. is concerned, the, in Florida, they've, they've been host to tropical diseases, which have only been found in Dominican Republic and Haiti and the islands and have moved their way into Florida because it's now warm enough there to host these mosquitoes, uh, which carry all kinds of uh, diseases with them. Um, um, did you see that? So let's talk a little bit about uh, what the future holds and what could be done to, uh, to mitigate some of these things. And uh, the scientists all say now that um, no matter what we do, the temperature of the world will increase uh, certainly for another 50 years, even if we do nothing. And that's because uh, it's not a tap that you can turn off and on. Just like a ship, you can't stop it by putting your foot on the brake because the ship's going to keep going. Uh, the earth will continue to be warming uh, at least till 2100, uh, even if we do absolutely nothing. And the degree of warming could be anywhere from one to three degrees Celsius, which is really quite a huge amount when you consider that we've only gone up one degree since 1800. Um, it seems as if like for North America, one of the results will be uh, more warmth and more rain in the Northeast part where we are. 
less more war warm and less rain in the southwest part. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, the Arizona, Nevada, California areas. Um, uh, we will uh, um, have uh, more extreme events, as we've already spoken about these hurricanes and heavy rainfalls. Um, and, uh, you know, the ocean rising uh, will have huge effects on the world's population because 40% 40 40 of the whole population of the world lives on the ocean or right next to it. And um, clearly some places will be very severely affected. Places like Bangladesh, Miami, uh, New Orleans, um, uh, you know, all the low-lying Pacific islands could be flooded over. So uh, the world will be very much affected if the sea levels keep on going up. Um, uh, the, um, so, so, you know, that brings us to um, the announcement of China to, uh, you know, to go carbon neutral by 2050. And I should point out that for a long time, uh, environmentalism in China was taboo. And to criticize uh, even pollution, which is a separate issue from um, global warming, but just to, to criticize pollution in China, all the smokestacks and black smoke coming out of them could have landed someone in jail because this would be going against the economic development of China. Um, the Chinese came to recognize, and I think, I think the Olympic Games had something to do with this, um, that, uh, uh, yeah, I think I said, the, I said humans and animals both, both produce methane. I think I said, no, maybe I didn't. So, um, uh, yeah, animals produce methane through the front end and through the back end, both ends produce it. And then, of course, the more animals there are, then the more methane is produced. But I was saying that in China, the, um, the uh, Olympics, which brought so many foreign visitors to China who commented uh, negatively on the pollution, led the government to decide to do something about it. And um, this, this idea to, uh, to lower the CO2 is one which, uh, if done everywhere by in the whole world at the same time, could slow down, if not uh, reverse the um, trend that's been going to up until now. So how do you do that? Um, the biggest source of CO2 comes from power generation. So that means uh, creating electricity by burning coal, by burning oil, by burning natural gas. Um, that's the biggest single source of, of uh, CO2. And we now have, you know, from the very beginning when they tried solar power and wind power, and these things were looked at as kind of experimental oddball ideas, um, the cost of producing solar power and especially wind power has gone down so much that they are now competitive with the other means of um, power generation. And so places like Northern Europe and Denmark and Germany, uh, they are introducing uh, wind turbines and even solar panels, uh, you know, to the point where uh, more than a quarter of their electricity will be put 
uh, will be create will be generated by these sources. So they're building some huge solar uh, farms, we'll call them, all over the world. Morocco has an enormous one in the Middle East, of course, where it's sunny all the time. Spain, uh, they're all trying to introduce solar uh, uh, electricity to replace, um, you know, uh, greenhouse gas producing electricity. Um, of course, coal is the most polluting of all means of power generation and um, even without incentives the amount of coal being used in the US to uh, produce power has gone down from something like 50% of electricity down to 30% in the last 20 years despite uh, presidents trump love loves for coal uh, the economics of it is just pushing coal uh, out of business to be replaced by uh, natural gas, uh, you know, in, in the first instance. So although natural gas is, produces greenhouse gases, it's a far cleaner and far more efficient way of producing electricity than coal or oil, which is rarely used, but used in some places to, to create electricity. Um, and some see natural gas as a kind of a stepping stone in between the old methods and the new um, greenhouse methods, green methods of producing electricity. Um, uh, there also is a push now to restart atomic energy production after the Fukushima disaster. Of course, the world stopped uh, in its tracks, uh, but they're now starting again to build nuclear plants. And even in Japan, they've started to, uh, you know, put the old ones back online. Um, the cheapest form of electric production to date is still hydro and um, you know we here in Quebec of course are the champions of that and lucky we are uh, because it produces a clean and uh, cheap uh, form uh, uh, and a renewable form of power. Um, so beside power generation transportation is the next form that uses up the most uh, carbon dioxide produces the most carbon dioxide and we now know electric cars, trucks, uh, trains are already in production. The percentage of electric cars is going up steadily in the world. And uh, China has just uh, decided to kind of make a big push in that direction. So uh, China will become the world's leading producer in the number of electric cars. And um, since they have sort of the biggest population in the world, just about, um, and they're huge buyers of cars, then, uh, you know, that changeover will spill over into the rest of the world. We're already seeing somewhere around 5% of all cars sold these days are electric cars. And it's not a huge percentage, but it's a percentage that's going up every single year. And we see it ourselves here. Just look around, you know, look around the streets around you and look at the, um, the, uh, the car recharging stations all over the place and you'll see that there's more and more electric cars. And we here uh, are one of the smaller users of it. But if you went to uh, California, you'd see far more of these electric cars around. Um, similarly, electric buses uh, are uh, things that are coming up. I saw that they're, they're installing kind of under the, under the street electric panels that will uh, power uh, buses uh, and uh, going over those streets in, in, in Israel. They just 
are starting to do something like that. Um, trucks are something that are a little bit harder to electrify, but it will come simply because of the weight of the batteries required to store the power. Um, you know, uh, the heavier the battery, then the more heavy the truck is and the more power it takes to move it. Um, and so electrification of vehicles and battery technology have to go hand in hand. The last things to be electrified in transportation will be, of course, planes and ships because they, uh, they um, are so heavy and you don't want a plane uh, carrying a monster-sized battery because it won't carry people in that case. But, you know, as technology changes, it could come as well. Uh, the same goes for ships. I mean, uh, you can't have a ship run out of battery power in the middle of the ocean. So, um, you know, that's why they're still relying on uh, diesel. Um, um, cement production is another big one. And I've read where they're experimenting with new ways to make cement uh, using slightly different uh, ingredients to, to make it much less demanding on uh, power to create that cement. Um, reducing deforestation, of course, would also reduce the amount of greenhouse gases. I saw a comment about streetcars, and um, I'm, I'm, I am, and perhaps some of our listeners are old enough to remember them in Montreal. I remember the one on Van Horn. Um, you know, in our climate in those days, uh, they were something that was uh, kind of an inefficient way to do it. But, you know, in Toronto, they still have them. And, um, you know, I think it's an impractical way to do it, but uh, electrification of buses is certainly much more practical. And um, we now have buses running on natural gas instead of on gasoline. And, um, you know, they, they, they've tried introducing transportation by hydrogen, which still hasn't worked out. But, you know, they're experimenting on all different kinds of fuels to see if there's a way to get um, vehicles off of gasoline. Uh, so far, uh, the, you know, the progress made by Tesla and Elon Musk has been the most, um, you know, kind of fast moving one. And the um, research into batteries is something which he's really gone far into. And once that's perfected, the storage of electricity and batteries, and then, you know, so recirculating that electricity, that's this key to uh, having, uh, being able to travel long distances without having to recharge your battery in, in a car. Um, Let me just talk a little bit about this Chinese decision and just to give you some sort of something to think about. Uh, right now, the United States is the largest producer of oil in the world. Right now, China is the largest importer of oil in the world. Now, just imagine what would happen if China decides that they're going all electric by 2050 you know, and uh, not having to import any oil. What would happen then to the sort of power balance between the United States and China? Uh, all of a sudden, assets which are in the ground, and this is happening today, become worthless. Imagine if there's no demand for coal anymore, so you're sitting on a pile of it, what's it gonna be worth? Nothing. 
we have that situation already happen in Great Britain, which is stop mining of coal. There's something which is, the coal is what created the industrial revolution in, in, in England. We have coal mines in Canada and Nova Scotia that are completely closed down. And uh, it's certainly not hard to understand or foresee that all coal one day will be pretty well worthless, no matter how much of it a country might have. Now imagine if the same thing happens to oil. Think of the Middle East, think of the US, uh, think of Russia, uh, or think of Canada as oil producers who would have an asset that's not worth taking out of the ground anymore. Uh, this, you know, could lead to a huge change in the balance of power between China and the US. Um, right now, uh, right now, uh, China is uh, the biggest coal user in the world. They um, uh, have been building coal-fired plants even up till now, but, you know, they're doing a U-turn and stopping to, to do it. India, another huge uh, coal user, uh, is also decided to change over from coal to other means of uh, power generation. Um, you know, just as in the U.S., coal has a huge uh, uh, lobby uh, sort of uh, presence because, you know, it, it, they're so, it, they employ so many people to mine it and to transport it. And yet, you know, they all see, uh, India and China both see the pollution caused by coal is so dangerous that uh, the people themselves have asked for it to stop, for it to stop it from being used. And yes, there was a comment I saw that London was once, um, you know, coal covered. You couldn't see uh, when those great English writers wrote in the 19th century, they were talking about, you know, air that you couldn't breathe and, you know, skies that you couldn't see. So uh, cutting out coal is sort of the easy step in, um, uh, reducing greenhouse gases. It's the, it's the gasoline use, uh, the oil use, the natural gas use, which is a much harder thing to, uh, to slow down. Um, uh, um, but, you know, things are happening. Um, I was just reading that in Australia, one quarter of all the houses have solar panels on them. Uh, here in Montreal, they've started these sort of greenhouse gardens. Uh, they've decided to, many cities have decided to require roofs to be white color so that they could um, reflect back the sun and not heat up so much. Um, uh, uh, solar energy is something that's easy to, to do sort of on a small scale. And, you know, just driving around the countryside, you see windmills and solar panels pretty well everywhere. And that's in a place here in Canada, which is neither so sunny nor so windy. But imagine places that are completely sunny or completely windy. Uh, they're putting up solar panels and windmills all over the place. Um, China, by some strange coincidence, is also the largest producer in the world of solar panels and the largest producers of wind turbines. Um, and guess what is the most important ingredient in batteries? It's lithium. And who is refining 60% of the world's lithium? It's China. So, you know, think 
sort of on a big scale of the balance between new technology, new energy, where China is leading, and old technology, uh, namely oil production, where the US is leading. And, you know, sort of imagine how the balance is going to tip over in the next, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years. Um, so besides those kind of changes uh, of going toward um, uh, carbon neutrality and using new sources to generate power, what other adaptations have the world, has the world been doing? We're adapting for, to higher sea levels. So we're building uh, sort of dams in the ocean. Venice has one, New York City has one, it hasn't worked yet, but they're building it to stop the ocean from rising in cases of big storms. Um, Bangladesh has a whole series of sort of raised shelters that they've put in the middle of the lowlands where people with early warning can then run to those shelters and have been doing that already. All along the coastline in the States, uh, they mandate houses to be built high off the ground. And you, you see them, if you see pictures of sort of resort areas in Texas and in Florida, uh, along the Gulf of Mexico, they're all built on these big eight or 10 foot high stilts, with big platforms kind of sitting on a big platform. Uh, Florida has mandated uh, storm windows and storm doors to be put in on all new buildings. Uh, there's huge flood pumps that are being used, even in Miami, to pump out excess water. And New Orleans, which, uh, you know, redid their whole flood pumping system after the hurricane there. Um, there's no building in flood zones all around the, uh, you know, the world, uh, where, you know, places that flood regularly, they don't want them to build. And, and even Montreal now introduced uh, some small areas, like in Pierrefonds, where you're not allowed to build because the, um, you know, the Milo River floods so regularly. Uh, they built cooling centers in Europe because, you know, a few years ago there was an enormous heat wave and thousands of people died. So they built cooling off centers where people without air conditioning can go and, you know, spend time during the hot periods. Um, the lack of rain has led to desalinization. Uh, plants in Israel and the United Arab Emirates are some of the, uh, the two places where desalinization provides a huge percentage of the water being produced. Um, and then there's some kind of crazy ideas, and I'll maybe finish with those. Uh, I was reading one where they said if you take glass and you crush it up into a powder, right, and then you spread that powder on the sea ice in the Arctic, then when the sun shines on the glass, it will be reflected back up into the sky rather than, um, you know, warming up the ice and melting it. And there have been other ideas to spread all kinds of sort of chemicals in the sky to uh, reflect back the uh, sunlight that comes into the atmosphere to reflect it back out. Um, and of course, there's other ones who want to spread, you know, uh, little flakes uh, in the sky to create rain when there isn't enough rain. So, uh, you know, these are other ways of playing with nature, so to speak. And, uh, you know, every time you try something, either it works or it doesn't work. Um, but, um, you know, this is just, uh, uh, I'll just summarize or sum up by saying that although we know that the world is changing, the climate is changing, and there's little that we can do in the short run to reverse the change. Um, 
our human nature to adapt and to mitigate and to uh, change along with it is something which um, I have myself, I have big faith in. And that uh, for people who think that we're all doomed because of climate change, I have more faith in, in human nature and in human intelligence, uh, uh, you know, to know that we'll be able to change along with it. It might mean people have to move. You know, people will have to move from the sort of dry parts of Africa to which is happening now, migrants leaving Central Africa to go to Europe because they just can't manage to make a living anymore in those places. For sure that's happening. Um, but, uh, you know, with enough ingenuity and willpower and cooperation, I think that, uh, um, you know, once we recognize there is a problem that we should be able to uh, work to solve it. So I'm gonna stop uh, here at this section, at this point. Um, if you have any comments or questions about this subject or, um, or, or other ones, then just, uh, just let me know. I had a, a list of records that were broken. I'm not going to read them, but um, the highest temperatures ever uh, recorded in so many different parts of the world, uh, and I checked every single country, uh, so many of them have happened in the uh, 21st century, in other words, the last 20 years. There have been a few record cold temperatures also in the last 20 years, but far outnumbered by the record warm temperatures. Um, so, um, yeah, let me, uh, let me know if you have any questions or comments. Also, you know, if you want to talk about the, um, the debates tonight, I think that could be an interesting subject also. And um, just to say that, uh, you know, for... Uh, since Biden is leading by a reasonable amount in the polls, all he has to do is maintain a calm and intelligent demeanor and act as a uniter and not start screaming and yelling and falling for Trump's uh, sort of, uh, you know, ad hominem attacks and personal attacks and things like that. And um, uh, I think also he just has to emphasize that he's not in favor of riots and he's not in favor of socialism and he's not in favor of communism. And uh, if he's able to convince people of that, then I think uh, it's going to be an achievement. Um, you know, what Trump has to do to, uh, uh, is uh, there isn't much he can do because his base is with him no matter what he does. Um, you know, I saw an interview today when they were talking about so to his supporters about him not paying taxes. And they said, geez, we all admire him. We wish we don't have to pay taxes either. So, you know, for them, those sort of supporters who are 40% of the population, uh, almost none of his supporters have left his, uh, his side since the last election. But almost is not all. And the difference of the almost and all is what can turn the election from where it was last time, which was pretty close to, uh, to uh, a solid win for uh, Mr. Biden. At least that's what things look like at this point. But you know what? Uh, four weeks is an eternity in politics. And you know, who knows what can happen between now and then. So uh, let me Hershey, know. Hershey, it appears yeah. as though there's a hand um, raised. So I'm gonna okay. press allow to talk. Okay, do you want me to look at it or do you want to just tell me what they're saying? We should be able to hear them now if they speak. 
Okay, so let's hear. Uh, Hershey, it, yeah. it's Howard. Uh, it's okay. interesting, you know, you were talking about Hillary Clinton and the call, and, the call, and you were saying that uh, she told the miners they're going to have to give up their coal. Oh, I didn't Trump say told yeah, them You're not going to give up their coal, but it's the way she said it. Right. That probably alienated them because she wasn't very yeah, I think uh, what was worse, uh, you're, you're right. She did say that in the last election campaign, and that certainly was not helpful. But, uh, you know, in that sort of secretly recorded speech that she gave to supporters, she called um, those kinds of people deplorables. And I think that's the, that was the worst, that was the kind of, uh, you know, icing on the cake, um, you know, which uh, sort of led to this, you know, non-college educated white uh, males to go against her by 30 points. Um, for her to say that coal is a doomed industry, I think is, w would have been less harmful because um, you're talking about a specific sector which does not employ a whole lot of people in the first place. And, um, you know, Americans recognize this no matter what side they're on, that coal is a diminishing industry. And, um, you know, coal mines have been closing under Trump's administration in the last four years. Uh, many, many mines have closed and many power stations have closed, which uh, use coal as a power generating, uh, you know, fuel. So Trump didn't stop it. And um, it's just, that's what eco economics are. So, um, you know, you do have to be careful. Sometimes a wrong comment can really, can really set people off. And, um, you know, Biden, who does not have that sort of, um, uh, he's not part of the intellectual elite in the same sense um, that Clinton was, um, you know, uh, coming from a working class background. And so hopefully he's playing it up. You know, uh, uh, especially uh, it looks as if the the polls in Pennsylvania that were done just recently show a big upswing for Biden. And, uh, you know, of course, Biden was born and grew up in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, that kind of working class background, uh, you know, and his Catholic faith, which he actually practices, should, uh, you know, move some of those type voters over to him. And it looks like they have in Pennsylvania, which is probably the most important large state uh, besides Florida, which is, you know, in play. Hershey, I see a, a question coming in through the question and answer feature. And yeah. the question is a bit long, so bear okay. with me, is okay. Singapore incinerates their garbage ecologically so that right. the smoke produced is clean, then the ashes are brought to an island and then it is dumped into water, which has an impenetrable membrane. So the ashes do not leak into surrounding areas and it is all done with respect to the environment. Why can't it be done here? You are right. I did read about that report. And, um, you know, Singapore is uh, a phenomenal country in that sense. Um, but why it can't be done in a lot of places is just this number of people and the size and the, the spread outness of, you know, big countries. Singapore is a small island. Um, they uh, are a wealthy country. So they're able to concentrate all their efforts. They could take all the garbage from the whole country and burn it in one place and then use the ashes 
by the way, you know, the ash is not only dumping it into the water with a membrane, but doing that, they're increasing the size of the island. So uh, Singapore has always been small. They've been importing sand from uh, Indonesia to make their island bigger by just dumping it on the shore. And the dumping the ashes on the shore, or I mean in shallow water, also will lead to a buildup of the surface area of the country. But, you know, practically speaking, you know, the country is not big. So to take a truck and make it go 10 miles is not the same thing as, as you, know, build, you know, making a truck go 200 miles to, to a center to uh, burn um, garbage. Um, you know, Montreal does have an incineration plant. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's on Des Carrières Street, uh, not so far from St. Lawrence and St. Joseph Streets. Um, and they burn all kinds of stuff. You know, all the wood that's been, that the, the, all the trees that they cut down, some of the furniture that gets tossed out, um, uh, it, burn, it, it gets burned to generate power here on the island. But, you know, burning that, of course, leads to more carbon dioxide being released in the atmosphere, but that's, you know, a small price to pay for getting rid of the garbage in a safe and uh, proper way. And, um, you know, that's what they're doing. Some, you know, the best thing about the inventiveness is that ideas have to start somewhere. And if they work out well, then other people copy them. And that's how ideas spread. And they've always spread that way. So if Singapore is a world leader and it's a good way to, to do things, other countries will copy them. But they have all the advantages compared to other countries. Okay. I'm not seeing any other questions right now, but I'll just wait a moment, Hershey, to see if someone raises their hand or puts something else let in me, the let, Okay, let me just ask a question, you know, because people have asked me lots of times, so, well, you know, are you going to watch the debates tonight? And, uh, you know, so many people are so, um, I would say, nervous, upset, um, stressed would be a better way over the elections going on in the States. I mean, I mean, we're sitting here in Canada, but, you know, in the States, people are so stressed that the last thing they want to do is hear more politics. And they just want to ignore it and hope it all goes away, you know, in a month's time. Other people can't get enough of uh, polls, commentators, TV clips, uh, watching the debates, you know, for them, it's kind of like uh, they can't think of anything else. So sort of in a way, the same stresses produce opposite reactions. One is I, I have to see it. And the other is I can't stand seeing it. And I don't know if uh, my, if our listeners uh, feel the same way about this. Um, you know, some which, you know, want to drink every last little ounce of politics and other ones that say, well, you know, I've, I've heard enough and seen enough. I don't want to I don't want to see any more of it. Hershey, we have Howard here who has another question. Yeah. Sure. Hi, Howard. If, hi. Don't you think if, if Biden was smart, he'll, he'll make a big deal out of this this tax thing that he didn't many years he didn't pay taxes, and then other years he only paid like seven hundred and fifty dollars. Even lower and middle class people often pay more in taxes than that. Yeah, uh, you know, the Democrats have already played an ad, or it's playing already now, and it shows all the people who worked in COVID, meaning the doctors, the uh, first, uh, first responders, 
nurses, uh, cleaners, and it shows how much each of them pay in taxes a year on average, federal taxes. And, um, you know, then they say, and look, here's, here's the leader of the country that pays nothing. So it's to try to get people to put themselves in the place of these responders rather than to admire Trump for his uh, non-payment of taxes. You know, I, like I said, if 3% if of the people are undecided, it might change some of their minds. But, uh, you know, since the beginning of the campaign, uh, the, the, the polling has shown that the two sides have been really very, very stable and there hasn't been hardly any change. Uh, Trump has a solid 40% of the population behind him. And, um, you know, he has, you know, maybe 5% who are sort of uh, softer supporters. And um, uh, Biden seems to have somewhere close to 50% of the people behind him. And, uh, you know, if you count maybe 5% who are on the fence, it's not very much. Hershey, we have yeah. something else in the question um, feature, although it doesn't really sound like a question. It's from Boris, who says, okay. if compare China with European countries and Canada, they do not do anything to fight with pollution. Uh, that's very true. But they said they're going to change their ways. And when you have an authoritarian country, when the leadership at the top decides something, it filters down pretty fast to everybody else. Because, uh, you know, the threat of not following the leader's orders means going to jail. Um, it's very true that China was and still is one of the most polluted places in the world. But I have to tell you, the city which is most polluted, as measured by uh, particles in the air, is New Delhi. So um, if you go to New Delhi and you spend the whole day outside, it's the equivalent of smoking two packs of cigarettes. Imagine the smokers who live in New Delhi, what they're getting. Um, and uh, uh, China's pollution really does come mostly from um, industry uh, and from uh, uh, electrical generation. And they've actually closed down some of the more inefficient steel producing plants, which produce a lot of, a lot of um, pollution. Uh, they have closed down some of these super polluters. Um, a lot of it has become, as, is because of local objections to, to these plants. Uh, and remember, it's not easy to object to a state-owned plant. It's not easy to object to a plant that employs a lot of local people. But there have been, um, you know, successful campaigns to get rid of some of them. And the ones that have been gotten rid of the mo most are the ones that are close to the big cities, are the ones that are around the big cities. Remember, one another thing is that, you know, cities like Shanghai and Beijing have grown so much so that, you know, once there was a steel plant, say, 50 miles away in the center, as the city has grown out, uh, it becomes 10 miles away. And then the, those people who live close by can smell it and then they go to their politicians and say, get rid of it. And so uh, in some cases they have done that, especially because at the same time, they're trying to modernize their production and, 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 and you know, get the most fuel, the most energy efficient plants going. And if you have an old behemoth there, so they're killing two birds with one stone by getting rid of it. And, uh, and, and so they are. 
But it, like I said, it's not something that can happen so easily overnight. And that's why I was stunned by, by them saying that they want to um, uh, go carbon neutral by 2050, because that's not a very long time away when they're still generating so much power from coal. And um, it's gonna mean putting on the brakes pretty suddenly for them to be able to achieve uh, that goal. But, you know, well, let's see what happens. Uh, Hershey, I'm not yeah. seeing anything right now anymore in the matter of raised hands or Q&A. Okay. Mm -hmm. So up to you. <laughs> okay. So uh, listen, I wanted to, I want of course to thank everybody. And I can't again tell you, and especially with Danielle being here, how much, uh, how sorry, uh, sorry I am not to be able to uh, come to Cote St. Luke Library City Hall and see all of you. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, it doesn't look like 20, um, 2020 is going to be the year, but I'm hoping by 2021 that I'll be able to see you all. And, uh, you know, everyone stay well and follow the guidelines of the government. And, um, you know, that's the way we'll be able to sort of keep our heads down and then, you know, come out of it on the good side. So thanks again. Hershey, I'm sorry yeah. about yeah. Uh, this, but um, okay. someone now is trying to speak. Steve. Okay, sure. Uh, okay, Steve, let me just uh, unmute him. Steve, are you there? Yes, I am. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hershey, why isn't the greatest outrage about the Trump tax return uh, how the New York Times obtain it? This is private information. It's between uh, President Trump and the, uh, you know, what is it, Internal Revenue Service of the United States. They must have received these documents in some illegal manner. The other question is, why isn't there also a demand for Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, um, Nancy Pelosi, and all their families to release their tax returns too, because they're going to be first, second, and for third sure. in line presidency or something should happen to uh, that to the president you're right for sure but biden and harris have already released their tax returns and um i don't know about nancy pelosi but uh she i'm sure would have no objection to doing it i don't know if she did or didn't i don't know as to the method of getting the um getting the uh tax returns um that the point of it being illegal is questionable um, because, first of all, uh, there is a First Amendment right uh, and has been decided in the courts that um, newspapers are allowed to publish um, items uh, of public interest. Um, and uh, obviously, this is an item of public interest. Now, there is no, nothing to, I, I personally don't believe that uh, the IRS or any public servant released these, this information. I'm pretty sure of it. What I think had happened, where I think, first of all, the New York State Attorney has demanded these tax returns be, uh, rele be uh, released because uh, he, the New York State Attorney said that Trump didn't pay state taxes as he should have paid um, for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, for example, the, payment, the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, uh, 
uh, Trump deducted that, that from his taxes as a business expense, and clearly it isn't. So um, the, the, the Attorney General of New York said, okay, well, I want your tax returns, and Trump has been delaying and delaying and pushing and using his, um, his legal team to stop it or avoid it or delay it. Um, my guess is that, and it's only a guess, that it's his accountant firms. His accountant firms were subpoenaed by the state attorney general to release all this information. And um, my guess is one way or another, somebody from the accounting firm released it. I don't know for sure if that's true or not, but it's not illegal for them to do it. Um, you know, uh, it's simply because the state has demanded it and said it has to get released. Um, and, you know, you know, many people would say, I don't know if the ends justify the means in this case, but there's lots of cases where people say, well, the ends do justify the means. And isn't it in the public interest to know that Trump, for example, uh, paid more taxes to uh, foreign governments than he paid in the US, number one. Number two, that he owes foreign entities something like half a billion dollars. And if he owes foreign entities half a billion dollars, isn't that a conflict of interest? If, for example, he owes banks in Germany or banks in Russia money, um, then uh, if these countries come and say to him, well, do something for us, and he does it because he owes them the money, it goes against uh, the Americans' national interest. So it is in the public interest for people to know this. And as you probably know, every president since uh, the 70s has released their tax returns to the public. And Trump promised to do that, falsely saying that, you know, only an audit prevents him from doing it. But of course, an audit doesn't prevent him from doing it. So, you know, uh, when you balance everything out, it seems that it's only fair that the people know. And, and, and these documents don't show all of his tax returns. They show only some of it, some of them. So, I, you know, I think it's in the public interest to know what uh, a candidate has, what he owes, um, because of a conflict of interest possibility. And Joe Biden definitely released his tax returns, by the way, and, and so did Kamala Harris. Well, what about um, Hunter Biden, the whole Biden family? I mean, there's questions of payments from Russia, from China, from the Ukraine. Uh, you know, uh, you there, know, there are. There are, but it, the, the amount of equivalence, there are, for sure. Hunter Biden, for some odd reason, got himself involved in some Ukrainian business. But um, on balance, when you think of the balances, uh, the, it isn't even close to the Trump situation. For example, Trump said he had no dealings in Russia at the same time as he was trying to negotiate uh, building a skyscraper in Moscow. Um, uh, you know, Trump hosted the Miss Universe contest in, in, in Moscow and made, uh, you know, several million out of it. Um, you know, the, the, no American bank would lend tr Trump money because of his defaulting on so many loans. And so he went to Deutsche Bank to have him, to lend him money. And, you know, for all we know, of course, he, he you know, he still owes you know, he's supposed to be pay, pay back $400 million in the next four years. Where's that money going to come from? And who is he going to pay it to? And uh, it's all foreign banks that loaned him the money. 
So uh, don't, I would say, let's not mix up apples and oranges because Hunter Biden for sure is not Joe Biden. Um, Nobody has even talked about all the, you know, nefarious build, business goings-ons of his Trump's own kids. So, um, you know, you, you could stretch this out as far as you want to second cousins, but the fact is Trump himself is at the center of attention and not Hunter Biden. Hershey, I think yeah. I see another question from uh, sure. Howard. Okay. They say he got money, paid a lot of money to Turkey and to the Philippines, but he probably, my guess is he probably paid a lot of money to Russia too. They didn't, they didn't say anything about that. Yeah, probably. But remember the tax um, authorities in the Philippines and Turkey, and I forget there was another place that he paid to, you know, are more transparent. And Trump does have business dealings and business holdings in many different countries, and you have to pay tax where you earned the money, uh, unlike in the United States. And uh, so he had to pay taxes there. Um, none of this would be so sort of uh, newsworthy um, if Trump had just released his taxes altogether. But when, when you're not allowed, you know, the forbidden fruit sometimes is more, more enticing than the real fruit. So. All Trump had to do was release his taxes and none of this would ever become an issue. The fact that he's not releasing his taxes means he's got something to hide. Now, the something to hide could be, could be two different things. It could show him as being not wealthy, uh, where he has boasted that he's such an incredible businessman, or it could show him, as it seems, that he has evaded and avoided taxes uh, for years. There's a big difference between avoiding and evading. Avoiding is structuring your affairs so that you don't have to pay taxes legally. Evading is where you hide income and uh, or you charge expenses which are not legitimate and then you don't have to pay um, taxes on those expenses. For example, it seems as if he, he, he gave Ivanka a quarter, three quarters of a million dollars and he, he, he called it consulting fees. At the same time, she was working for his organization. So if she's working for his organization, what does he have to give her three quarters of a million dollars in, in so-called um, uh, consulting fees? And the difference is, of course, that he could deduct that as an expense from his business. And if he just gave her a gift, he wouldn't be able to deduct that as an expense for his business. So uh, that's illegal. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, when all, when all is said and done, when all his legal uh, paths are, are closed off maybe 10 years from now, he might even go to jail for all this. Hershey, there was a whole episode on um, CNN yesterday night with Cuomo talking about Trump and the 400 and something million dollars all of this. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, like I said, you know, in practical terms, it's not going to change a lot of people's minds uh, and who to vote for. Uh, and also, you might ask, and I'm sure, for example, that this information that the New York Times got, they could have had this for months and decided just to release it now, before the debate, number one, and uh, at a time when Americans have already started voting. In other words, they didn't want to leave it to the last week, um, but uh, you know, to have the maximum impact 
they figured releasing it now is a pretty good time. So, you know, the debate could be talking about it and people could be thinking about it as they vote. Remember, this is a year when many, many people are voting in advance because of COVID. They're not showing up on voting day. And uh, so they did it to have maximum impact and in that way. But it won't have that much impact. In a close election, though, uh, a few thousand votes makes all the difference. And, uh, you know, it might be enough to tip the balance in some of those very close states, which, for your information, those close states are today um, North Carolina, Florida, Iowa, um, and uh, where else? Uh, Ohio, and even Texas and Georgia. So some of the close states are states which Trump won by huge amounts in the last election, but which polls are saying are very close now. So in a sense, this is a, a good, uh, a good uh, result for Biden. And the three close states last time, which were Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, uh, are now, uh, especially in the case of Michigan and Wisconsin, are really quite, quite uh, high up in the Biden uh, sort of uh, polls and only Pennsylvania is close but uh, Biden is still ahead in that state so uh, you know if things stay the way they are now the word is if Biden should win comfortably comfortably enough so that Trump can't challenge the results uh, either on election day or after Thank you, Hershey. I think that's it for the questions. If you don't mind, I just want to let people know that are in this call right now that as per the government's announcement, you may have heard libraries are closed. What that means to Quote St. Luke Library is that the no contact uh, pickup service is still available, but the in-house visits that we had, those are suspended now for the time being. So thank you, Danielle, and thank you to everyone. And I'll see you next week. Thank you, Hershey. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to you for listening here today. The show is produced by me, Daryl Levine. The telephone broadcasting service and podcast was launched as a way to get content into your home during the pandemic period. As you know, we had to stop our events at the library and at Parks and Recreation. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast as a sort of a virtual way of getting the content to you so you can hear your favorite speakers at home. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps others to find the show. Have a great day.